Hello and welcome to In Lockdown With, a podcast where I, playwright Kieran Fitzgerald, chats to emerging, established and experienced artists in the fields of theatre, film, television, dance and drama, from Wales and beyond, to find out more about their careers and to see how they've been coping during the coronavirus pandemic. Expect laughs, gossip, and an insight into the careers of some of Wales's best-known creatives. If you enjoy this podcast, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Hello and welcome to this episode of In Lockdown With, with me, Kevin Fitzgerald. Today my guest is playwright Dav James. Hi Dav, how's it going? Hi Kieran. Um I'm very well actually, I'm very well today. I'm yes. excellent. The sun is shining in Cardiff and um, it stills my soul. I think the weather definitely helps with lockdown. Oh my god. Oh my God, can you, can you imagine having to go through all of this with it raining every single day? Imagine, imagine if it was like December, January time. Oh, really yes, horrific. yes, we, we, we must count our blessings about that. I, 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 and yes, those early nights, I mean, I, it has been an extraordinary thing to be able to be outside and to go outside. And, you know, and everyone's talking about it, aren't they? The, um, the, 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 because we're having to pause, we're all just noticing nature a lot more and the bird song and the tre- I, I've actually downloaded a, like a tree app onto my phone and a bird song app. I'm going around recording bird song and identifying them. I mean, what has uh, happened to me? It's just a joyful uh, thing. So, 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 so really relaxing, actually. <laughs> it hasn't been all relaxing, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, we all had our adventures in COVID, I'm sure, you know, so it's, um, yeah, everyone's experiences have been different, and, you know, and I, I, I think everyone's had their crosses to bear, and some people's crosses have been a lot more intense than yeah. others, of course, so, you know, your heart goes out to those people, so it's been a, an extraordinary time for all of us, hasn't it? Yeah, it has, and I think it's, it's worth remembering that, even if, you know, Kind of evaluating your own experience of it, remembering that there are other people who have suffered over the last, yeah. whether that be through losing people or um, mental health is a big thing as well. Um, yeah. But for this it's, podcast... Um, it's a huge thing. I, I wanted to kind of start at the beginning like I do with every episode so I want to ask you first how did you first get interested in theatre um ah so let's take you all the way back (laughs) I think it's probably similar to many people which is those you know nursery school um I remember standing on that stage behind a curtain dressed as a donkey and feeling like the most excited little creature as if I was Freddie Mercury himself about to step out in Wembley. You know, that kind of first (laughs) feeling of being in front of an audience and, and, 
and having a response to what you're doing. I think that's a very electric moment where you hear somebody laughing at you even, or that you've got some kind of, something that you've done has had an impact and an effect on someone watching you. And that, that I remember very clearly from being little. And then it evolved into various things. In primary school, I took part in a can act all, which is like an action song. Right. And I had to play, um, I was at a duet with another boy. We were factory workers. And I was, um, it was Dick Die, we were called. And we were singing a song called Nior Boysin Glavar, which means we're the, we're the clever, the clever, the clever boys, I think it was called, yeah. yeah. Based on an Elvis Presley tune. Um, and that delighted me a lot. And then there were also these pageants that we did. I, mean, I, I was in Escoliola Morgano and they did an extraordinary thing there, I think. that um, a, a lady called Sean Ellis used to write our pageants and our school shows. Right. And she would take Beatles songs or Barbara Dixon songs or all these extraordinary tunes and write Welsh lyrics to them. So we weren't only learning like the history of William Morgan or Yola Morgano, which we did pageants of, but we were yeah. also having a musical education and yeah. learning all of these extraordinary melodies and singing them with Welsh lyrics. So I think it got me not only into acting, but it got me into writing and songwriting, really. So I yeah. feel like, you know, a lot of my education wasn't that sitting down in classrooms. We, I mean, I don't... I don't remember doing that much schoolwork when we were rehearsing pageants we would mm. just rehearse them all day every day and it was mm. i loved it i'm sure a lot of people didn't but uh <laughs> that education had a massive impact on me um and then that followed into there was a cowbridge amateurs dramatic society because I, I grew up in cowbridge and they started a um a children a, a, like a children's group so the first show they did was Toad of Toad Hall. And I got to play yeah. Toad when I was 10 years old, dressed in a green jogging suit. And again, I, I just adored it. So I, I think I, I caught the bug then. Uh, and then, you know, I did anything I could to do any acting or drama all through secondary school. Mm. And I was in the HTV drama workshop, uh, took part in all the school shows and um and did you know gcse a level drama and just got into it that way when did you kind of begin to see it as this is what i want to do as a career rather than just something that you enjoyed i think it's uh, from being a teenager i wanted to be an actor that, that was the grand plan uh, that was all I wanted to do. But I remember when I got to A-levels, I remember thinking, I I wanted to go to university, I wanted to do a degree, and I thought, uh, what I'll do is I'll go and do a degree in English, and I will train afterwards as an actor mm -hmm. um, and become a Hollywood movie star. <laughs> why, course, why did you not want to go straight to, to drama school then? I, it was because um, I, I loved uh, doing my A-level, I loved doing my A-level, I loved reading, I loved literature, and I also, I suppose I enjoyed, I enjoyed the academic side of things, I enjoyed writing, I enjoyed um, analysing, um, and I just thought I wasn't 
I don't, I, I don't really remember Kieran. I suppose it was more of an instinct or an impulse that that's what I wanted to do and explore mm. further. Um, it, and just because I knew you could train to be an actor afterwards, I just thought, well, if, if that's a possibility. I suppose I didn't want to... I suppose I, I, I've always been somebody who wants to explore as many different things as you possibly can. Um, you know, and yeah. if there's opportunities to do that, to go down different routes and see where it takes you. And of course, invariably, those routes take you to places that you never thought you were going to end up anyway. So the grand plans always change, you know. Yeah, I never, of course. I'm, I'm still not an A-list Hollywood actor, as you all know. So it's never too late, <laughs> that, though. It's, that never work too, out. it's never too late. You never know. Oh, your faith in me is a great thing. Thank you. <laughs> But you you um you went to um the London International School of Performing Arts. What was your time there like, and um, how did how did this training help you in your future career? Well, yeah, I mean, because that's a, it's an interesting part of the journey, really, how I ended up there. So obviously, you know, I went to Edinburgh university to study English and then I, I, I tried for drama school as an actor yeah. I tried for Lambda and Webber Douglas uh, uh, and I didn't get in and then I went oh <laughs> that's not part of my plan what 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 happens now and I remember just going I was so I just didn't know what to do really and then I went I'll take a couple I'll take a year off and I'll probably try again and then during that time I actually decided well maybe I'm not done with the academic stuff so I tried to do a mm. PhD and the PhD was supposed to be practices research, so I was going to be doing some performance. Um, and then that didn't quite work out in the way that I'd originally planned, because I ended up doing that PhD not in practices performance, just a straight-off academic written dissertation PhD in theatre studies. Right. But I started doing that, and then I, and I, I soon realised... I would go insane if I just stayed there and wrote a PhD because it's it's a it's it's a very you know it can be very isolating it can it's it's mm. a very particular way of working which suited me to some extent but wasn't the whole picture of who I was and I was I was very I was deeply unhappy actually in, in Bristol at the time I, I was very lonely and lost and confused and it was a difficult time in my life and then. I heard from a friend of mine that Lispa had was opening the following year, and Lispa, the man who ran uh, the Jacques Lecoq School in Paris, yeah, um, and the Lecoq School in Paris, I'm sure you know this, but to your listeners, is a, is a it's a physical theatre school. It's a it's a school for actor creators, you know, performers. Um, or artists who are interested in creating their own work. And I'd always been excited by that model. And I'd worked in, in that model, um, in devised work, all the way through Edinburgh. I'd created a lot of shows with other, other collaborators through 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 physical theatre. Um, and I, the, the, the man who had been running that school in Paris after Jacques Lecoq died was coming over to London to set up his own school. Right. And this was so exciting to me. I suddenly felt like, you know, those little moments in life where you hear some information, it's synchronicity, really. Mm. And you hear something and you go, oh, I feel like this is the answer to what I've been looking yeah, for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I wrote to them, and you had to write a letter, and you had to apply by writing a handwritten, you didn't even have to audition, <laughs> by a handwritten letter 
you know, <laughs> your passionate plea about why you wanted to go there. So I did that. Wow. And they got in contact. They said, you're, you're too late. They're, all the places have gone, but you're on the waiting list. And I was like, no, I've been foiled again. Yeah. Um, but then they got in contact in October and said, somebody just dropped out. Did I want to place? And I was like, yes, <laughs> yes, I do. Um, so I went. And I do think in a way that that... You know, it shifted things massively to me. It, 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 it put me back on, on I, you know, I don't think there's any wrong paths. It's all, it, it's all heading somewhere. But I, it, 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 I, I was suddenly on the path that felt even, even better than the one that I thought I wanted because it was, it's a school that trains you, as I said, to create your own work. But people go there not quite knowing what or who they are. Yeah. And they come out, hopefully, with more of an idea of what type of artist they were. So I went in thinking I was a actor-creator and that I might set up a theatre company and create my own work. You know, all, all of which happened. But at the same yeah. time, alongside that, they ran a writing course. I was composing all the music for all the work we were devising. And I had to write a one-act play as part of my writing course and and having had that experience i suddenly discovered that sitting on my own writing my own play appealed to me lots more than mm. being in a room with there were 30 of us all from all over the world i mean it was crazy i mean it was brilliant and inspiring but there were just 30 tempestuous egotistical maniacs oh, i can you know, imagine joyfully so but you know the mm. whole thing about that process is it's about conflict in a way you you have to uh you have to kind of fight to get your ideas heard and yeah. actually you learn very quickly if people don't want to listen to you you know people go in there thinking they're directors and maybe you learn that you haven't got what it takes because actually no one wants to listen to you as a director or you go in there thinking you're an actor and then suddenly you see that actually you don't quite have what it mm. takes or suddenly you're on the outside writing scenes and people go hey that's brilliant that's that's great we're going to use that so it it, it it allows you to kind of learn through failure and through um constantly having a go and from peer-led developments i suppose yeah. um who and what you are so from that respect it was really life-changing and coming out of that, was there, for you, after you graduated, was there an element of confusion? What do I do now? Or was it, I know who I am, I know what I want to do? Yeah, I mean, I, st <laughs> I still don't know who I am or what I want to do, and it changes all the time, to be honest. So I don't think that ever goes away. And it's probably a very healthy thing to, to yeah. have artists... Um, to constantly reinvent yourself. I mean, look at Madonna. She's done it, hasn't she? And she did yeah. rather well until the age of 60. So that's brilliant. Anyway, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's, I've got off on one. Um, so I, I, I came out and I, I was still wanted to act and I auditioned for a show with Theatre Gerrit Lethal, Cymru, and got a part in that. So I was still very much acting, but I also had a play which I sent out to all sorts of new writing companies, uh, including Script Cymru at the time, and it was an English language play, uh, and I had a lot of rejections. I've still got all of those rejection letters because, you know, it's really important to, you know, I've had so many rejections mm. in my life, Kieran, you wouldn't believe. 
and I think it's always useful to mm. to talk about those um, and and to know that it's just part of the parcel. I and I do truly believe that you know the 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 worst rejections in my life and the hardest ones mm. have always been the ones that have led to greater things, which right. is a yeah. frustrating life lesson to learn. But it's also hopefully something you know it's it, it's good for people to hear that because those shifts and transformations come come from failure i think mm. um so you know i as i said that you know my first play was rejected by six six different companies but was exe- accepted in the end by one and then that one company because it was a bilingual company script company um also knew i wrote in the welsh language um, no, no, I didn't write in the Welsh language. I spoke Welsh, and I categorically refused to write the Welsh language. And they wanted to know about that, and they wanted to explore that with me, uh, which in the end gave rise to actually what ended up being my first fully uh, produced play, which was the Welsh language play, Choice. Um Why were you so kind of reticent to write in, in Welsh? We've spoken yeah. briefly about this before. But yeah, why were you like, no, I don't want to go there, kind of thing? Yeah, I didn't want to go there. I, it was um, it was partly um, because I felt, and it, you know, it, it, it was very rooted for me personally in my own identity and my own sexual mm. identity, and I think many people have different versions of this, and it's not necessarily rooted to sexuality. I think, you know, as you as you grow up within a certain community and you're finding your own wings in your sense of identity, you often fight against that which nurtured you or that um, sometimes it didn't feel like nurturing and often actually it felt very, for me, particular parts of the way that I grew up felt very oppressive, felt very conservative, um, felt like it was against who I was and I had to kind of discover that for myself and I went away um, and I felt at the time that, and I blamed, I think, I blamed the culture in a way for that oppression, part of which I think was true, part of which I don't think was as true as I thought it was. Um, but I categorically didn't believe that I would be able to express myself in my mother tongue. Mm. I didn't feel like, and by that point, I had also, um, you know, I'd studied English literature or I'd, I'd written creatively in English. It came freer and easier to me. It was a muscle that I was used to using. Yeah. But I also possibly didn't think that there was an audience for my work within the Welsh language. I didn't know how it... And that partly comes from what I was seeing on stages, what I was seeing on S4C. Um, still felt quite behind the times to me still felt um i still felt like you know queer and gay representation at the time didn't speak to me at all um and then so so i just think didn't think it wasn't for me but then of course what i didn't realize and it took adwell griffith and ellen bowman and sean summers at the at script company and then later at the chairman to 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 make me see this and this is why our you know the the people that nurture new writing and art artists is um, mm. is um, really really crucial. Um, their insight was well, actually, that's what your play is. You know, and actually, isn't it an ex- really exciting exciting thing to um, to 
if you don't see it out there on the stages, then then write it. Write write, yeah, write yeah, your yeah. write your create. Make space for yourself. You know, carve your way. Put your story out there, and um, and sometimes that feels um, and it. You know, it's a scary thing to do that because you feel if you're not quite sure mm. how that's going to be seen. And I'm not saying that. That's, that, that, there's examples definitely of stuff in Welsh language that I grew up that did speak to me. Of course it yeah. did. And there were people who went before. And it's really easy to talk about, oh, yes, I was the first to do it. Because it's just, it's just not true. It's, um, but there were, mm. you know, people like, uh, R- you know, Roger Williams was, yeah, actually, I, I, you know, like he, they, he's just had no start on, um, uh, 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 or heed in, in Welsh, but actually that was the yeah. English language. Yeah, he was saying, and what he he's been saying to me recently is, you know, his advice to me has been, if you don't see it out there, if you don't see yourself represented out there in Welsh theatre, just sit down and write it. You know, exactly. He he read exactly. something of mine, and you said, you know, this isn't representative of who you are sit down and write me something that is representative of, you know, a young disabled man in his mid-twenties, you know, write that. Exactly. And, and actually, isn't that... Uh, I, 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 in a way, I'm now so grateful that I didn't see those things out there and therefore to have the opportunity to make that space for oneself is actually a real privilege. Yeah. And it's a real gift, actually, to carve that space. Um, and it's a real opportunity. Um, so, you know, and it, it, it's something that I'm really, really grateful for. But it is something to be said about, I, I, and I do believe this, and I, I say this to, you know, when we talk about writing all the time, about mm. it, it, it's so much about authenticity. I think audiences, yeah. em- what audiences crave and embrace, and even if it feels other to them, you can sniff authenticity a mile off and truthfulness, whatever the, whatever your yeah. version of that truth is. And whenever you try and put a distilled version of that or watered down or you're trying to emulate someone else's voice, audiences also can smell that a mile off. You know, what people re- what people respond to is the, the, the deep emotion, I think, that comes with really going there, with, with excavating and mining whatever your truth may be. And... Um, and we need, you know, more people to put the and, and to have those Definitely. platforms and voices, and you know, and, and and to put their truths out there. Definitely, I completely, completely agree with that. Um, I want to ask you next about what your what your process is when you're writing. Is it the same on every project, or does it vary depending on what you're working on? It's um, it, in essence. I feel like the creative process is always the same, uh, which but 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 that's like <laughs> saying the universe is one thing. In the sense of, and I talk about the process because uh, 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 I, I, when I teach workshops, I teach a workshop called Dream Vomit Sculpt, and that basically to me is what the creative process is. You know, so. To me, before any anything is committed to paper, there's the there's the idea that comes from somewhere, and it comes mm. from somewhere, and it might be a combination of thoughts, or you know, it might just come fully formed suddenly. But you're 
your subconscious is always working, I think. And when the, the right, it's time for the idea to come, then it comes to you. Um, so, you know, but I call that time the kind of the dream time. And I often then just think about it for a while. It just sits with me, I think, and I explore it. And exploring might just mean in my dreams or in my thoughts or whilst I'm walking or running or listening to music, or it may be, depending on the idea, a period of research. You know, mm. if it's a specific research-led thing that I need, then then I might be reading. But it's, it's still the kind of the, the, the dreaming of it. And then once I have a, a kind of idea of what a feeling of what that world is, and it's always a kind of I, I'm it's character-led, it's world-led, it's kind of and yeah, as I say, an idea, a nugget of something. Then I will I will probably write down a series of events. And this, this, this is the same for theatre or TV. I will, I will kind of write the, the, the very abstract shape of the story without much detail, but I kind of maybe know where it's going. Right. Sometimes I don't, but sometimes I do. And then once I've got this kind of vague kind of blueprint of events, and that's literally like a page of beats, it might be like 10 sentences, you know, like this happened, this happened, this happened. Then I just start writing and I call it my vomit draft. And the most important thing about the vomit draft is you don't censor, you write freely. You just, if, if it feels shit, doesn't matter. Keep on going, keep okay. going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. And I try to keep going until I get to the end. So I just have my vomit draft. Sometimes what happens is I get to the middle and I, I, it's a feeling. I just go, I can't go any further now because I have... I, I know I need to go back to the beginning and just start again. And I start shaping it a little bit. So by the time I get to that point next, I then move forward. So that happened with Tully's and with Sleep, actually. Right. I just got to the middle and I went, it's a feeling of I'm now lost. But I know it's not a scary feeling. I just kind of go, oh, I'm, it, it, I can't really, I, it's just, it, it's a very strong instinct to go. I know I now need to just go back to the beginning. But was it, but was it a scary feeling on set because it was the first kind of full-length piece that you'd written? It was a scary feeling on Tulloy than it was on because Tulloy actually at that time, um, when I was writing it, it was commissioned, but it wasn't commissioned to produce. Right. So actually, there was freedom that came with that because I did, you know, I was just. It just felt, it felt such a lovely thing to be paid to write a script for starters. I was like, well, this is yeah. great, isn't it? This is that. And I actually, I just remember it being quite, I got to, in truth, I got up to the point where Gavin appeared again in the club. And I went, oh, I don't, and Gavin, he wasn't even supposed to be a, re, a character in the play the first time around. So I just remember going, oh, I don't, oh, I don't know where this, I, I think there's something here. But I'm ready, I'm ready for some input. That's what it is. And actually, this is another thing about who you create your work and share your work with. And if you've got a really good relationship of trust with a director or a dramaturg mm. who get you, who mm. understand what you're about and what you're trying to say, then that, you know, you can sometimes open up your work at a very vulnerable stage for them to have an input. Now, that is a very particular thing because other times, 
you know, I always advise people don't share your work until it's ready because there's certain people, if you haven't got a relationship with them and then you want to show them who you are, yeah. that work needs to be rigorously, you know, tested and you mm. are happy with it and you go, this is my calling card. But in this example, because I was working so closely with Adwell and Shan and Ellen and they were all people who'd gone, you need to write about your own identity and your experience. I knew I could share what I'd done and I knew that their input and notes wouldn't send me on the wrong path. I thought they'd enable me to continue on the path that I'd already started. How do you develop that kind of a relationship with a director or a dramaturg? That, they... that, is, that is such an excellent question and such a crucial one, I think. And actually, to be honest, I'm kind of envious um, of you asking that question now at the beginning of your career because I wish I had known more about that. <laughs> because right. you, and I've actually been very lucky, I think, because it's slightly by chance, luckily, like the directors I've ended up working with, I don't know if it is chance, you know, who knows if it's chance or if it's actually just... You know, it's it's those things about the, the relationships that you forge are so crucial. But the, 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 the thing I would categorically say that that's so important is when you're making work with other people, make sure they're your people. You know, mm. and what I mean by that is make sure that you like them. I mean, I know that sounds like such a ridiculous... But it's so easy in this industry to work with crazy... You know, when I say crazy, I mean people who draw you into their own kind of, like, crazy craziness actually and they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're not enabling your vision or not not even your vision but a shared vision it needs to be a shared vision you know a director is responsible for, for, for putting your work on stage but it needs to be a collaborative thing i think and actually if ever your if ever your um, your vision and their vision is at odds then that could be a very very painful mm. painful process and it doesn't need to be. I think there's another kind of myth in art, which is the suffering artist and that we have to go through painful, painful processes to make good work. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have to experience pain to right. make good work, because I think you do. And I go to some very, very painful places. When I write, that's part of my process. It's part of my catharsis is to write, to write right through that pain but all of my, you know, all of those projects, even the painful emotional ones, the ones that have been the most successful have always been joyful in yeah. terms of the collaboration. They, they all, it's really interesting looking back, I've got, you know, the, the most difficult ones are actually the work in the end doesn't quite necessarily get there at that point. But the, you know, but the ones that I feel like, yes, I've done what I wanted to do the actual creative process in the collaboration have been joyful, tough, rigorous, yeah. challenging. Yes. But ultimately that comes down to, you know, the people that you surround yourself with and the, you, you need to feel supported and respected. Yes. And so, you know, how, how you cultivate that, those relationships with directors, you know, some of it comes from, so I think, you know, with, with Thuyth, and with Taloith, both directed with Arwell, um, I was exceptionally lucky that Arwell was around at that time because it was a project, you know, he's a gay, Welsh-speaking man. It was an idea and a play that just sang 
to him, you know, resonated really deeply with him. So yeah. he cared so deeply about it. Was it important he, to you that it was directed by a gay well-speaking man who identified with the characters in the play and what you were trying to say? Yeah. Yeah, for that particular project, Adwa was absolutely the right person for that job and for Tullowy. And, you know, it's... I'm not necessarily therefore saying that any gay plays that I write, I feel like it should be a gay director at all. It's just about, for me, it's the... Um, each project for me is different and, mm. uh, and humans bring different qualities to different projects and different projects demand or need different people running them or running them for me, I suppose. And Adam mm. was, you know, absolutely the right, right person to go on that journey with, with Thoreau and with Tullois, you know, and actually Adam and I haven't worked together um, uh, since Thoreau, I don't think. Right. No, we hadn't, we hadn't. So to get back in the room, no, not even back in the room, developing the play with him again was absolutely brilliant because, uh, uh, you know, it was terrifying going back there. Was it difficult uh, to like revisit those characters after yeah. ten years and think about like where are they now, or was it like I know who these people are, I can write this? Not easy, but did you know them that well that you could just jump straight back in? Yeah, I mean, I, in a way, I didn't really have a choice but to write Tullys because you know, three years before it was produced. I just adopted, and yeah. life had changed so dramatically, um, and my whole identity had changed so dramatically, and my relationship to Wales changed dramatically. Wales had changed dramatically. Mm. The gay scene had changed dramatically. <laughs> you know, you, we were allowed to marry. Like the, the, everything had changed, and I suddenly and I I both come to Tadwell in them um, chapter, and. I was slightly mad at the time, Q, and I don't mind saying, I was in the tunnel of parenthood, um, going through something, and I just did this crazy monologue to Arwell, and at the end of it, yeah. I just went, oh my god, Arwell, I think there's another play here, isn't there? <laughs> and he looked at me and went, you said it! And I went, oh no, I didn't say it! He said, you did, do you want to think about it? And I went, yeah, let me go and think about it. And I was terrified, because... Because Troythid was so significant to me and had had such an impact on my life and had been, you know, one of the greatest successes I think I'd, I'd had up to that point. So to revisit mm -hmm. felt like such a dangerous game, you know, like we all know about this difficult second album. Not that it was a second album, but it was in, in Troythland, wasn't it? And all I could think of was, oh my gosh. This is gonna fail. This this, this yeah. can only fail. This is fail. And then I had a stern word with myself because I went, okay, <laughs> so let's think about this. The only reason you don't want to do this is fear. And I had just read this extraordinary book because it's an old one, but it's a good one. Feel the fear and do it anyway. That had right. transformed me somewhat and transformed my thinking. And you know, and I, I since that I've always said, I, if, if the only reason to not do something is fear, then I shall do it. I shall bloody well jump headfirst into the mess and do it and trust it. Um, because you want to write this way play, and you're only you're terrified about it failing, and you're terrified about what other people are going to say about it. 
Mm. But that you can't go through life because if you go through life like that, you will miss out on all these major options. You kind of got to accept that some people aren't going to like it. Not everyone's going to like it work, but appreciate that yeah. if you believe in this project you and you feel that you have to like it, like RL said, you've got to write this, then exactly. you've got to sit down and write the damn play. You, yeah, you do, and I think actually this is something I've learned in the last couple of years. Really, is I think, you know, criticism is always hard. I mean, I still haven't dealt with how you deal with negative reviews and press. Right. I find all of that extraordinarily difficult, or have done in the past. However, I've also come around to the way of thinking that if you create a piece from a place of love and surrounded by people who love and support you and enable you and believe in it and it's a shared vision then what you end up creating is you know you can't protect yourself against negative criticism but in a way i think the positivity of those processes does protect you somewhat because if it's much harder if you're being if you have negative criticism for something that you don't quite, haven't quite, it hasn't quite landed with you. You could have done more. It's not quite what you wanted it to be. Yeah. But isn't it much better to be, like, you can have somebody say, I hated this, blah, blah, but you go, yes, but it's what I want to say. And I've said it. Yeah, I've said I suppose. It well. Yeah. And that's all, you know, I think that does protect you somewhat in the, in the, in, in the kind of, throws of, um, you know, negative uh, criticism that might come your way. If you got confidence in your own work and that you're what you're trying to say and that you've said it in, in a clear way, then I think you're right. That can, you can deflect that negativity away from you as yeah. a writer. And... I'm just not read those that you know i i i, yeah, I try exactly. you know try not to go on twist also the other the, the great realization is is often i just think you know as artists our job is to create yeah it's an act of, it's an act of creation isn't it and and uh and that that's hard and it's a very vulnerable thing to bear your soul it's also a great privilege to have platforms on which we mm. can bear our souls so that's a fantastic thing but I also think that there are there are people out there who are destroyers. You know, they want to destroy you. They want to yeah. destruct. That it's a destructive act. You know, constructive criticism. Yeah, by all means, that's fantastic. But I do think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of rage out there. Um, yes. And actually, those aren't the, the people I would choose to surround myself with in life anyway, so I don't know why I would want to read their words. That's true. Either. Yeah. That's a really, really good point. Really good advice as well. Do you think uh, Welsh theatre generally is becoming less, and Welsh language theatre specifically is becoming less socially conservative? generally with the type of work that's being produced I think I would hope so I mean I would hope so as in 
you know, and I, and, but there's, there's always room, there's all, all, there's always room for more. And of course, I don't think it's actually quite a linear journey in a way, because, you know, choice okay. happened 10 years ago, and then there's been fantastic things in between, maybe not so fantastic things in mm. between. I don't think there isn't this one kind of line of progress that we're on a journey of like, you know, liberation in a way. And also, as I say, like the cycles of history, there was stuff there was stuff being done back in the 80s that was yeah. extraordinary and experimental and all, 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 all that. So, you know, it's not it's not one straight line of work, but I think the way that we uh, secure against continually innovating is, again, by enabling those artists to tell their stories authentically. Yeah. It's the only way. It's the only way to get... get um, a variety of voices and diversity into the work as well and that authentic representation that isn't you know uh conservatism i think comes from you know it, it is often to do it is, is rep repeating the status quo as well isn't it it's kind yeah, of yes, of course, so. giving what you think somebody might want because they never want it as i said all just they, i i it used to drive me insane when i when i hear arguments like you know, and and that this was done back in the past with Esperorek, you know, they used to talk about Mrs. Jones' Hanny Lab as a representation of right. who the core audience was. But... And that person being an dunno, an elderly, slightly conservative, Welsh speaking lady of a certain age. Now it's nonsense because actually mm. the Mrs. Jones Lanny Lab I know, when they came to see Truth and watched all those gays, boys in their pants taking ketamine, Mrs. George Tanila was on her feet applauding. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Now, you don't know what an audience wants, but if you tell it authentically and from a place of kind of love, I think, um, audiences are willing to go along with anything. So we need to just enable our artists to say what they want to say, I think, crucially. Um, and there's always more that can be done in that. Um, but there's, you know, I know there's a lot of work being done in developing, trying to develop new writers, new voices mm. across the board. Um, often, you know, there's a lot of pragmatic reasons. Finance, money, mm. COVID. <laughs> yes. You know, about how we, how, 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 how we, to find the right structures which enable this work is an ongoing, an ongoing question. And, you know, we may not have the right structures currently. Is it um, about theatres working more closely with artists or kind of finding out what the pool of artists is and more call-outs, more opportunities just for writers and artists to meet uh, directors and for those connections to be made so that theatres have a better idea of the pool of artists that are out there? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think uh, definitely work, kind of grassroots work, um, enabling, you know, it's really interesting just to think about the, the only, re the reason I started writing in Welsh was because there was a bilingual com company, and I wrote in English, but it took a bilingual company to go, you write in Welsh, you write in Welsh for us, please, they enabled yeah. me to write in Welsh, and I, you know, I came from a Welsh-speaking family, it was my mother tongue, so if you're thinking that I was struggling to do that, there, there, you know, there's a lot of other people who are going to be struggling to make that that journey mm. over. So I don't even. I, I I think it's also. I mean, there's a systemic problem, isn't there, in our culture currently, where 
and fortune, you know, with conservative government and that that the arts are always seen as the kind of the poor relation that Definitely. actually that's the last thing that we need. And of course all artists as all artists know, it's the first thing we need. It's the most important thing Definitely. we need. Definitely and we saw that by what the culture secretary said last week. Just clearly yeah. there's no understanding of what is gonna need to be done. Not only to reopen, but to kind of um resurrect the arts to what they were before this crisis. And it's going to yeah. take years, it's going to take years to get back to normal and some artists and some theatres are not going to make it out of this. And, and that yeah. is the sad thing for me. Absolutely. And I, you know, I, I, I also believe that, I, I, I do believe that all human beings are artists, you know, and it can manifest in different ways. But, you know, humans, because of the structures in our society, close down on their artistic possibilities they stop playing they you know but yes. we, are, we are joyful we find joy when we are playful we also you know drama is an extraordinary thing in the sense Absolutely. that it's, it's all about empathy it teaches us to consider things from a variety of perspectives and so that's why i think that kind of teaching and learning is a fundamental, you know, I think it should be the, the most important thing that we, we we teach our children in schools. You know, before before maths and 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 um, and spelling and things like that, you know, which it all has its place, but actually to, to learn and to think em, empathetically. Mm. Um, and also, you know, we are all we are all story beasts. Everything is, is a narrative. Yeah. You know, the news is the narrative. The way we consume is a narrative. We all live through story. And we so like actually, that, that structure of having a beginning, middle and an end to things, just as human beings. Sorry, I interrupted you there. But... No, not at all. You're absolutely right, though, Kieran. And it's, it's um, you know, that there's a reason we all look to stories for redemption, because it, it makes us feel safe in the world, you know. There's a reason humans need ritual. Ritual is a structuralized form through which we can go through some kind of transformation, but there's a beginning, a middle, and an end to it. Mm. You know, this is how we make sense. Our brains are story-making machines. We need to understand the world in order to function within it. And therefore, that's why we tell ourselves stories. That's why we look to stories and ritual just to to make life that can be you know the, the most challenging parts of life mm. then become bearable you know it's a survival yeah. instinct actually and a redemptive one and um and you can move on briefly because we come to the end but i want to ask you um you've written for tv and radio as well as theater um what are the challenges of writing for TV as opposed to theatre? Do you have less freedom as a writer? Are there bits of it that you enjoy more? Um, mm-hmm. What's your experience writing for TV? Well, it's, uh, yeah, I've been, I mean, I've been writing for TV for a good, 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 since, since about 2012, really. I, I, I was writing on a series called Wife Catcher for S4C, but I, I only feel now that I've started to really hone my own voice within it and my craft. So I'm mm. writing a TV show for the BBC at the moment. And I I think what I've learned 
recently is I, I always think of writing a play as a piece of music. There's a kind of a musicality to it. There's a rhythm to it. There's a way I use language within it, which has a musicality and the way that the play flows and the sequence of scenes is to me a kind of like a, a, a symphony. And actually TV writing to me has a similar thing, but it, it's just the way I go about it is different. You know, with TV, for the BBC, I know it's a 60-minute episode, so that's very different to theatre. You have to hit certain climaxes at certain points within that structure. Right. So in that way, there's a limit which comes with it, but it's a creative one. Um, and I would say that the way I create my musicality is you know, where I choose to cut the scenes, where I jump between scenes, you know, that the, the music comes from the juxtaposition of scenes um, more so than the flow of dialogue, potentially, or the juxtaposition of images instead of words. Um, so, you know, obviously theatre is a poetic medium. You can use a lot more words there than necessarily um, that you do in TV. I'm not saying that you can't do that in both. I'm not saying they're mutually exclusive, but it's just generally that's a kind of a, a truism, I think. Um, and that TV is, yeah, is, it, it, there's, there's a visual thing about telly. You can you can go to so many different places in telly visually. Of course, you yeah. can do that in theatre because you can, it's an imagined space theatre. You can go anywhere in the world. You can be up in space in theatre on uh, no budget at all. Whereas telly, maybe you've got a big budget and you can build that rocket. So in that way, uh, it's not... Um, Sometimes I feel right into TV, oh my God, I really can do anything and I can mm. go anywhere on it, you know, a BBC budget will be bigger than an S4C budget, for example. So there, there are these constraints. Um, but the other thing, you know, that I think is very different between theatre and TV is I think that TV is much more a story, it's more about, there's a story, it eats up a lot more story. So, you, you know, there's an engine to that. Whereas often, I think for me, theatre is a philosophical medium. You know, I yeah. often, I'm, I am exploring or juxtaposing ideas in theatre. I'm not saying you can't do that and tell you again, but it's, it's, it's for me, I'm telling a, a you know, a, a, a story with an engine in TV. Whereas in theatre, I am exploring a philosophical is it, is concept. It? Is it kind of, I'm going to massively simplify what you've just said, but is it more a case of theatre being character and emotion driven, whereas TV is about plot and structure and story and more regimented in that regard? I wouldn't, see, I never, it's an interesting way of thinking about it, but I would never think, I don't think, in terms of plots ever i always think in terms of character so the plot comes from the character so i i always mm. used to think i was rubbish at plot but that was because i realized i was dealing with plot in the wrong way when i was writing tally because i I'd, I'd be beating like this should happen this should happen this should happen rather than the character does this next the character does this next you know if you've got the intention mm. and the conflict of the character right then the events will write themselves I suppose what I'm saying is there may be fewer events for me in theatre than there are in telly because yeah. in theatre I often, you know, I might have big, you know, debates about ideas and language, still character driven, but there's just space for that. But, you know, there's always there's always exceptions to the rule because if you think about like the Netflix film, um, The Two Popes, that was oh, basically yeah. two 
guys chatting about ideas. You know? Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was. It's, a, yeah. you know, it's something. It's um. It's a. It's a play, isn't it? It's a. You know. So there's, yeah, there's, 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 yeah. There's ones that um translate and transfer but it's just I mean I suppose as a writer I always have a choice to make about what medium do I want to tell a story and some are inherently theatrical to me and others are inherently you know televised material right that's that's really interesting um the last thing I'm gonna ask um we come to the end is what advice would you give to someone Maybe someone like me who's just starting out in the industry. Um, or maybe what advice do you wish you had been given when you started? Well, I think, Kieran, I think you're already doing any advice that I would be giving you because you're already kind of, you know, you're getting yourself out there. You're exploring, you're chatting to artists. But you're also, I know, uh, creating your own work, aren't you? Like that, that... That, to me, is, um, you know, I think that's the crucial part. Not all people want to write and not, you know, people may have different strings to their bows. But I think if you, um, for me, I tell, the, you know, the actors in Welsh College, I, they always, all of them as part of their end of first year assessment have to create their own pieces of work. And I think it's such a fantastic exercise because... Unfortunately, there are in this business, you know, it's a business, it's an industry, and it's really easy to feel powerless. There are people in power, and there are people who are not in power. And my Mm. advice would be to take the power for yourself, carve your own space if you can, make make room. And if no one's giving you the part that you want, then write that part for yourself, Mm. create it. Um, and, and, and that's also a way of enabling yourself and giving yourself, um, yeah, per, permission not to, you know, you, you don't want to be sitting at home waiting for someone else to give you an opportunity. The likelihood is they won't. Um, so be your own kind of master, be your own, you know, be your own director who's going to give yourself a job and um, and get out there. And, and, and if it's possible, um you know, stage your own work. I don't know how, you know, there's finances that come with that, but actually you can do things cheaply. Mm. You can do things on the cheap. You can do, you don't have to have massive budgets to put on a show um, and get people to come and see your work. And then also, you know, where you can at the beginning, yeah, send stuff out, send stuff out, go to these, go to as many things as you can, be seen, show up, um, and prepare for rejection. And remember that if you if you get rejected, mm. it doesn't mean that you're a pile of shit and your work is really shit. It's just those people aren't the right person for that, or that work isn't the right thing yet. But actually, you're you know, the, those 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 first things are. And, and honestly, I think it, I I always think it's a really interesting thing for all artists to write down a list of all the rejections and show it to the yeah. world, and you will see how that there will be tens of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of rejections compared to the times when people said yes you know because someone like me sees someone like you with, with plays being produced and, and we tend to think oh they must have never got a single rejection in their whole career but it's so good to hear that coming from artists such as yourself 
that everyone experiences that and it's not because you're not a good writer. It's no, just... and you know, and, and, and maybe, and there were points when I wasn't a good writer, and there are scripts, there are points when I was a great writer, and then a few months later, I was a rubbish one, and there, you know, it's yeah. not, it's, um, as I say, it's not linear, and it, uh, uh, and it shifts and changes, and sometimes you lose connection with, I mean, I do think that when, you know, when I wrote Stoyth, it came, it did, it poured out of me because it, it was, it was, it was timely and it was, I, I'd been waiting 30 years to say it, I suppose, it's the only way I could think about it, and it just came out, but then there were years after that where I was trying to write plays where I lost complete connection with that, and I was almost, I was, I started trying to read all these books about how to write plays, and then trying to, I'm thinking that I didn't know how to do it, so I started trying to model it on other people's models. And that's just doomed to failure because you're not, as I say, you're emulating other people. You're not, you're not tuning in with your instinct and your voice. And actually, it took me years again, actually, to relearn what I instinctively initially knew when I wrote my first play. So it's all, you're always on a process and life throws you its curveballs and you get lost and you, you know, you go into the wilderness. But you just have to try and keep tuning into that, that voice inside you that has something to say and, and to believe that it, yeah. has something worth saying as well. Thanks, Dad. It's been brilliant talking to you. Thanks for your time. Uh, it's always a pleasure. I think you're brilliant, Kieran. Um, so, And I think this is a fantastic thing that you're doing. So I oh, wish you thanks, all the best. And I really look forward to seeing you filling stages at TV shows <laughs> and near me very soon. <laughs> Um, that's it for this episode of In Lockdown With. I hope you'll join me for the next episode. Um, I'll see you then. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of In Lockdown With. The podcast is written, produced and curated by me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Thank you to all my guests for taking the time to appear on the show. If you enjoyed this episode of In Lockdown With, please consider liking or subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I'll see you next time for another interview.